0: It's time for episode 324 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM. Recorded Wednesday, December 11th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes.
1: Welcome back to Clockwise, the official tech podcast of the International Society of Watchmakers. That is probably not true, but I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet. Across the International Society of Watchmakers by my co-host Dan Morin. Hello, Dan.
0: Hello, Micah. Are we all... I can't say the word for the the fancy word for watchmakers because it sounds vaguely offensive if you pronounce it wrong. Oh, gosh. Uh, Let's say or, orologist. How about yes. orologist? That sounds right. The
1: folks who study time. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm studying the time and it says we got to keep this thing moving. So I am excited to introduce our awesome guests. To my left is managing editor, of iMore as well as a uh, co-host of MacBreak Weekly on twit.tv, it's Lori Gill. How you doing, Lori?
2: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: Uh, peachy, peachy keen. Thank you.
2: Glad to be back on the show again.
0: And to my left, it's a writer, a podcaster, a YouTuber, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, Renee Ritchie. Hi, Renee. How are you doing?
3: Good, Dan. I'm just trying to remember, this is Clockwise, not MacBreak Weekly or the More Reunion show, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: MacWise or Clockbreak <laughs> Weekly, if you prefer. Clockbreak Weekly. It sounds great. No, I'm um, <laughs> happy to be joined by by some old pals here today, feeling very comfy. As we get into the show, you know how it works. Four people, four topics, 30 minutes, and here is mine. Uh, how often and using what methods do you clean your tech? I uh, We're dealing with some, some sicknesses at work, and I am extra specially, sort of s- just a, a skeptic of everyone around me, a little bit scared of everybody, don't want to <laughs> get sick. Uh, and it made me think about how all of our tech is dirty. So how do you clean your tech? How often do you clean your tech? Uh, and please be honest. Lori Gill, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah. So I always clean my phones and my tablets, but it's because I hate fingerprints. So I use Woosh. Uh Michael, you're the one that introduced me to this. Um It's this, this cleaning solution that's, that's made specifically for, um, gadget screens. It's non-toxic, non, it has no alcohol in it or anything like that. So it's not damaging to your screen. So I spray all of my, all of my screen related things down, including my, my laptop screen that is, um, all the time. And it's a fingerprint related issue, but. Otherwise, I am I'm pretty um, poor with my hygiene. My my keyboard, it gets cleaned before I go to an event because I'm embarrassed at how dirty the <laughs> keyboard is. <laughs> and and uh, Mikey, you're going to hate me for this. I don't clean my earphones, my in-ear buds no! unless I'm going to take pictures of them. <laughs> no! It's pretty gross. I, I,
0: this is uh confessional this week. Apparently that's what we're doing here. Uh, I use a very technical product to clean my phone. It's called my shirt or whatever <laughs> other thing that I'm currently wearing sweater. Um, I, wow, boy, am I bad about this. The only things that I am really diligent about cleaning off, and I don't even do that that often, but like I try to be pretty thorough when I do are uh, screens uh, like big, like my Mac iMac screen or my MacBook screen. Um, Because those things do tend to get pretty grody, but everything else I kind of, you know, I might grab a microfiber cloth and sort of wipe down, you know, the iPad or the iPhone if it's gotten really cruddy for some reason. But like most of the time, I feel like especially with my phone, I'm always like wiping it on something like my pants or something just to like clear off those smudges and things. (laughs) But I don't, I don't spend a lot of time like cleaning or disinfecting or whatever. I have some like spray that I use on the screen that's probably from Macworld Expo circa about 2006 or so. Um, so that'll, that'll date me. Uh, and then occasionally, you know, cleaning off the keyboards and getting those crumbs out. Uh, but yeah, I work at home, so... There is no one to see my
3: grossness but me and my wife, and she doesn't come in the office that much. So I used to clean my tech until I lent my last spray bottle to Dan Morin at my <laughs> 2006. <laughs> <laughs> it was um. a cold night in San Francisco. <laughs> No, but I I have sort of this deep and abiding appreciation for the worn technology, the used technology aesthetic of a little movie called Star Wars, where uh, Han Solo was out there fixing the Millennium Falcon, but he wasn't necessarily polishing it to a shiny, shiny Queen Amidala spectacle every fortnight or two. But I I, I have to keep stuff clean because I photograph and video it so often, so I'm sort of forced against my nature to make things as shiny and lint-free as possible, even though it is functionally impossible for anyone but Micah Sargent. But I just sort of do it on an as needed basis. If I look at something and it looks gross, I fix it. uh, And then I just leave it until the next time I look at it. And it's obviously just unleavable.
1: Uh, answers. I
2: don't. <laughs> Are you grossed out now? I'm He's not just, talking to us
3: anymore.
1: There's no <laughs> adjective I'll use before the word answers. They were answers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> there's no judgment here. I use whoosh as, uh, Lori had mentioned before, um, to clean my devices. And then that, that's like screens and things like that. Uh, as for my, my in ear devices, I just can't look at them when they've got a bunch of, um, wax in them and stuff like that. So I regularly keep those clean with, uh, uh, like a little microfiber cloth or even just like a, a a nice little tissue. And right now to the left of me is a tub of Clorox wipes that I use (laughs) regularly on my keyboards, uh, and on my desk and things like that. So yeah. Um, I, I, tend to keep things relatively clean because I've read way too much about how all of these things are, as they call them, vehicles for contamination. Why don't we go to our next topic, which comes from Lori.
2: Yeah. So I've traveled internationally for the first time twice this year. So this is my new path. I'm going to be traveling internationally. And what I realized the first time was, oh my God, I don't know how to use my phone or any of my connected devices while I'm international. So my question to everybody is, what do you do? How do you plan for international travel when it comes to your iPhone, your iPad, your Apple Watch, or any non-Apple related version of that technology?
0: I actually travel internationally not infrequently now, like once or twice a year, Um, and for the most part, I always get an international SIM card if I can, which is to say whenever I get uh, to the country that I'm going to, I buy a prepaid SIM for that country because getting those outside the U.S. is actually pretty easy, uh, and it's usually cheaper than dealing with the international data on your domestic plan. Um, there have been some exceptions to that. Like I think my AT&T plan now covers Mexico. So when I was there last year, I could just use all my normal data without any additional costs, which was great. Um, most recently this year, I was in Scotland, Italy, and Ireland, and I got one SIM um, from the uh, UK based provider three that essentially covered my entire trip, which was also really nice. Except for recently checked my bills and found that, like, for some reason, I think some people were sending me a bunch of text messages, like non iMessage text messages, and I got dinged for like, you know, paid like 10 bucks for those. I was like, ah, it's my family though. I couldn't be too mad at them. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing I deal with. Everything else, you know, I bring my iPad. I tend not to travel with my. Uh, Mac when I'm going overseas, if only because it's usually I'm there on vacation. Um, But I'll bring my iPad because it's good for watching stuff on the plane. And I don't do anything too special with that. I just use Wi-Fi on that. I use my Apple Watch as normal because both of those things do not have cellular. And I just sort of rely on you know finding Wi-Fi or using that data plan. The best thing, though, about buying the prepaid Sims is usually you can buy a ton of data for a pretty good price. So I bought like, I don't know, like six gigs or something. And I was like, that's like more than what I have in a month at home. And even though I'm relying on it pretty heavily while I'm abroad, I don't come anywhere close to using it uh, all. And it's usually no more than 20 bucks or something like that. So that is my primo
3: tip for you there. Renee. So I used to travel much more internationally, but then I just started looking up YouTube videos of international travel and now it all comes to me. So I don't have to do it as often. Uh, when I still do have to travel internationally though, I I don't really change sims anymore. I've done that a couple times and iMessage just freaks out to an extent where I don't get messages and I get people get confused and all this who number what what is this thing? And I j I couldn't do it anymore. So my carrier has an exorbitant roam like home plan, which is not bad when it's in the US. It's more expensive when it's in Europe. But I've been using that and it is costly, but it leaves everything just working the way I expect it to work. And I found that to be, well, not as thrifty as it could possibly be. It's just much better for my stress and anxiety levels. And then I bring with me some adapters. I do still travel with my Mac because I still edit on my Mac like an animal, and I need it. So I have enough, enough power adapters that I can use whatever frequency and arrangement of prongs that country, that country deems necessary. And then I do my best to survive until I get home, and I can really recharge and redate everything.
1: A while back, a former partner of mine was uh, visiting Australia, was going to be visiting Australia. And so I asked uh, Shifty Jellies Russell Ivanovich about what uh, he needed whenever he was going over there. And he gave some really good advice. Yes, get the international adapters for plugins. But then once you do, Get a power strip, a surge protector, so you only need you know one or two actual in-wall adapters. You plug in the surge protector, and you can plug in your devices normally in that way. Uh so pretty smart move there to to keep things easy. But the other one I want to mention, um, there's an awesome, awesome, friggin' awesome app called GigSky Global Mobile Data. This app lets you use the eSIM built into your iPhone. To get mobile data plans in other countries. So you get the app, you say, Hey, I want to, uh, to travel to, you know, some, uh, I don't know, again, Australia. And then it will show you, okay, with a gig sky eSIM for uh, 30 bucks, you can get uh, two gigs of data. And it's a 15-day plan or something like that. Uh, and then it will help you get your e- get the eSIM set up directly on your device. I think that is so incredible. Such a smart idea. Um, so of course, I will be including a link in the show notes to GigSky Global Mobile Data. And it was a um, producer at Twit. His name is Anthony, who introduced me to this app. He went to... Um, I think it was China... And I can't remember where in China, but he went to China and he used GigSky Global Mobile Data. And that was all he needed. And it worked perfectly well for him. So yeah, that is uh, my tip.
2: I like that one. I think I'm going to use that one. So uh, similar to Renee, I when I tried using a SIM card in London, um, I had the same experience where my... My phone just like wigged out. And even after I got home and got back to normal on my US SIM card, it, it was, it struggled to kind of like catch up with everybody. So I was still getting these weird, I don't know who this number is things. So the second time I traveled, I just paid the, de- the, the extra international plan for my Verizon account, which is definitely much more expensive, but it was a more convenient situation for me. I also use, um, the plug bug for, um, international plugs, it actually comes with a bunch of different ones so th- you can use it across a bunch of different countries, not just one. You don't have to get a different one for each country that you use. So I love using that. And the plug bug has a, um, it connects to your um, Mac uh, plug. Um, but then on it, there's also two additional USB a ports. So you have like basically USB C and two USB a ports. So it's a nice little convenient thing to have. And, um, I also use VPN. So if I want to, you know, watch my old shows from <laughs> in the U S when I'm traveling abroad and I, I just kind of connect to, you know, the San Francisco VPN, I use express VPN to just kind of stay local even when I'm traveling abroad, um, that may have been a, had a negative impact on my ability co- to connect to Wi-Fi properly when I was in Japan. In Japan, they have this, um, you can just log into Wi-Fi like anywhere on the street. And, and, but you have to kind of jump through these hoops and enter your email address. And I, I never actually connected to the just general citywide internet. And I think it might have been because I was connected to a VPN that was showing my location in the US. So that can sometimes be a problem, but those are, those are the things that I've learned on my, my well experienced two travels.
1: <laughs> and folks, we have reached halftime. And I'm excited to tell you that this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Text Expander from our good pals, good buds, good friends at Smile. Uh, you can unlock your productivity with Text Expander. You don't have to reinvent common email and message replies every time you need them. You just store them in Text Expander instead. Text Expander works everywhere you type. That's Slack. That's Trello. Google Docs. Web browsers in any place else you frequently type the same things and text expander for teams makes it easy to manage and share snippets for your entire organization i have two pals here who know about my use of text expander because i used to love sharing my snippets with the entire mobile nations team um there there are certain things that you know were templatized and needed to be uh quickly sort of uh brought to uh, to, to form and so I would go and create different snippets that made our process as writers a lot simpler. And, uh, I don't find the need for that as much any, anymore. But occasionally I'll come across a great text expander snippet, uh, that I've been sharing with my, my new teammates at, at Twit. So I, I love using text expander for being the guy that, uh, has the, the, the pack of gum that's willing to share it with other people is kind of what it feels like. Um, text expander is available for macOS, for Windows, for Chrome, for iPhone, for iPad. And guess what? Clockwise listeners get 20% off their first year. You just head to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. It's genuinely one of few subscriptions that I smile eh, uh, every time I see come around at, at the end of the year. That's TextExpander.com slash podcast. And if you've been meaning to try Text Expander, go check it out right now. Once again, TextExpander.com slash podcast. Super simple. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. All righty, Dan, what have you got for us?
0: Well, the Mac Pro, which is went on sale this week, sort of caps Apple's show of appreciation to professionals. Uh, we also had the new MacBook Pro and, of course, the iMac Pro. And so my question for you is that now that the professional audience seems like it's been really well served by the Mac, what about the consumers? What's left on your list for Mac using consumers? What, what can they
3: expect? What should they get? Renee, thoughts? So I have I have so many thoughts, so I'm going to condense them down. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. You You can look at the Mac Pro and they don't even round down the numbers to 99 cents. This is like flat out your studio and your clients are paying for these, you know, hugely priced machines and to make giant Pixar movies with so you're fine. But there does still seem to be, you know, some of those things that are on our wish list, like the ARM MacBooks, the MacBooks that will let us have this sort of iPad-like battery life, but still use macOS the way that many of us have grown up to use it. And also something that bridges the gap between the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro, something that people can do more expansion with if they are sort of, you know, mainstream consumers, but also a little bit of a hobbyist, and they want to have some of that expandability. And then there's just things like the iMac has been updated over and over again, it's got really good internals, but the externals are showing their age. And, uh, you know, that Apple Thanos snapping the bezels on everything else, it just feels like the iMac's turn is next. So, so I'd, I'd like to see them continue to just whittle away at the at, at catching up the Mac lineup for the next couple of years.
1: Honestly, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I need much more with, uh, with the consumer Mac. I am quite happy with the, uh, I'm still right now. I am on my, I gotta remember now, a mid 2015 Retina MacBook Pro that I love, love, love with all my heart. I just recently had the battery replaced in it. Um, and it still runs just well. And then at work, I have um, a Touch Bar Mac. Unfortunately, I started working at Twit right before they came out with the 16-inch MacBook Pro. So the the 16-inch MacBook Pro kind of speaks to the things that I want as a consumer. That's uh, sort of, and I hate this word, but it is what I am a prosumer. Um, <laughs> it is it is right there in that sweet spot with everything that I could want as uh, as a as a consumer slash pro, where the Mac Pro is way too much for me, not something that I need. And maybe even the iMac Pro is a little bit uh, heavy, but that 16-inch MacBook Pro, man, oof, gorgeous, gorgeous. So I kind of uh, have faith that they will, that they've already got it under control on what uh, consumers need. Lori, what about you?
2: I still think that the Mac in general, the, the Mac laptop and desktop lineup is cost prohibitive for the average consumer. When you're, you know, shopping for your new computer, you look at the Mac and you're like, yeah, I would love to get a new Mac. Oh, what's the cheapest MacBook? It's a thousand dollars. Oh, never mind. I can go get a $400 PC. So I would love to see Apple work toward a, entry level consumer laptop that really can strip it down and not, not try so hard to be so advanced, but just be Just a basic computer that's well made so that people can use the macOS system because that operating system is absolutely fantastic. And they're getting the, the design experience and the it just works with experience of a Mac without having to spend a bunch of money. Something that runs around six to seven hundred dollars. I think that's a great way to get because you know you buy your entry level Mac and then you go oh my god I love Mac I'm going to buy the the next best one next time and you're going to be more willing to spend that thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars or two thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars on your next computer. So I still think Apple has a long way to go in terms of getting a a a low cost Mac to the rest of the world so that that everybody else can use because right now a lot of people kind of consider it the elitist computer just based on the fact that it's kind of expensive.
0: Yeah, I think you guys have nailed a lot of the sort of primary things and and Renee basically went through the whole list. So you (laughs) did a good job of identifying all those. I think the one that I'm focused in mostly on is I do wish Apple would import some of the lessons it's learned with the iPad over to the Mac. And I mean that more on the hardware side. Uh, like Renee said, if they are start building their own chips, uh, power efficiency, lightweight, all of that stuff is great because now that you have the option to go up to a more powerful computer if you need that horsepower then why not provide a lighter, thinner, more battery efficient version on the low end? It's okay if we're gonna trade off some specs because if you really need the horsepower, you can always go up to a MacBook Pro. But I, I, and I know people like me, would really enjoy like a, a small, super light computer that, you know, runs all day uh, and allows me to use the uh, Mac OS uh, instead of the iPad OS for some things that I feel like it's still better suited for. So I- I'm really hoping that because Apple has decided to draw this bright line between uh, the iOS devices and the Mac uh, and not merge the two, that maybe there's still some things that it can import from the iPad side of the equation that will really help bolster the Mac. And and like Laurie said, perhaps even fill out that low end there in terms of price, because that is still a place they have a lot of opportunity for. Thanks for your thoughts on that.
3: Let us go to our final topic today, which comes from Renee. So, I mean, you guys have all been in this industry for a long time. So, we remember Steve Jobs announced the original iPhone, and about 3.2 seconds later, somebody wrote an article asking when the 3G version was coming out. And we had to deal with that every year. Like, every year, the rumors about the next iPhone would happen, and they became earlier and earlier. And then last year, we started getting rumors about not just the next iPhone, but the next next iPhone. And now we're getting rumors about next 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 iPhones, probably mm-hmm. next 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 iPhones. And it's just they, some of them are so far in the future and so nebulous, but the headlines that a lot of people in the industry are using for these rumors are just so sensational and worrisome for people. And I'm wondering if we're getting to the point where media isn't transmitting a message with these sorts of rumors, but it's actually trying to shape messages well in advance of there actually being any there there. <sighs> <laughs> you right, Micah?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do have feels. I do have feels. Because, uh, Renee, you and I have have, uh, talked a lot about this over time on the iMore Show. The way that tech journalism can fail the consumer, and the way that tech journalism can help the consumer, and the role that empathy plays in all of this. I think sometimes we have a tendency, and we being um, tech journalist industry as a whole, have a tendency to, to um, A, forget that we're not always talking to other tech journalists and not always talking to people precisely like ourselves. And B, have a tendency to uh, sort of get Overly excited about things, maybe, and not consider how the work we do impacts others. So that is what that sigh all meant, and probably a lot more, but I'm going to leave it at that because this is a 30 minute show.
2: I wouldn't have the job that I have if it weren't for rumors. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there that I like rumors, not just because I, it keeps me in pearl diamonds and pearls, but it's also it's fun. It's fun to talk about what could be and speculate and it's it's it builds fervor and excitement for what's to come in the future. But it, you know, when you're talking about the 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 rumor itself and then the way it's covered, I definitely think that the way it's covered in tech has has really Gone downhill, if you were, if I, you know, to sound like an old person in in tech, which I certainly am not, but old enough that I I definitely see a big change in the way we report on it. We do have to start questioning the reality of these rumors instead of just sort of believing that this particular analyst knows what they're talking about because two years ago they were dead on with all of their leaks that they provided.
0: Um, when I was working at MacWorld, uh, we struggled a lot with what to do with rumors because people talk about them and that makes them, you know, things that are on people's minds, but they're not news because they are not substantiated. And I think it's. Tricky because that stuff has all become much more mainstream. 15 years ago, when we were talking about rumors about Macs or about a new iPhone, nobody cared because, you know, it was an insular small community for the most part. But now this is part of daily life. Everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody's invested in what the next smartphone is going to be. And so you always have to be very careful about how you report this. I was on the radio just this past week uh, doing a segment and I, you know, made a point of like, I'm going to pour cold water on this because let's not get too excited about something that is. Years away, if that. Um, But people are very ready to believe these things. And I think that all comes down to just how we report them. And certainly, uh, they need to be treated with skepticism at all times, because no matter how good some of these people's records are, they're not perfect. So you gotta you gotta be careful about how you say that.
3: For me, it was, it was very much like in the old days, we were standing on the street corner yelling, paper, paper, come get your paper. And we had to yell really loudly to get attention. But then subscriptions and things like that happened and you could do deeper, more serious reporting. But now thanks to algorithms and Google and Facebook and news feeds, Everything has been deconstructed and now there's a million of us on every corner yelling, hey, come look at mine, come look at mine. And it's created this entire atmosphere where the headline is everything. And there's sites like Forbes, which has a shocking secret for you every day on their Apple coverage. And I just, I think it makes it, it scares people and sensationalizes them to the point where everything is scary and sensational. And I got, I was really troubled with this too in the early days of iMore. And I got some really good advice from mutual friend of everybody, Jim Dalrymple, who said, people care deeply about this stuff. So you have to do your best to help them understand it, and that's sort of like what I would love people to do now. And that is, if there is a rumor about an iPhone losing its uh, three, its uh, Lightning port, what does that mean? What are the requirements? Is there power? Is there data? Is there recovery? How could that be addressed? I just want people to calm down and just go through the stuff and sort of make it as as compassionate and considerate for for audiences as possible.
1: Folks, we have reached the end of another episode of Clockwise, and before we get there. I want to tell you about Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. And you can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro resources and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system because Linode is the company to go to. They've got the fastest hardware and network with outstanding customer support if you ever need help. Plus, it's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server, and their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and will soon be released in Tokyo. Version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. Oh, by the way, Linode is hiring right now, too. So if you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, you head to linode.com slash careers. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Plans start at a gig of RAM for just 5 bucks a month, and they offer high-memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. Plus, Linode has a special offer just for you as a listener of this very show. You can head to linode.com slash clockwise and use the promo code clockwise2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. When you do the math on a gig of RAM plan, that's four months free. With a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash clockwise with the promo code clockwise 2019 to learn more, to sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for their support of this show. Been a longtime sponsor. And of course, all of Relay FM. All right, folks, thank you for joining us for this episode of Clockwise. Lori Gill, we do appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And Renee Ritchie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And, Micah, it will be Clockwise Wednesday again next week. (laughs) But until then, we remind all of our listeners out there, watch what
1: you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.